Hello, and welcome to the Free Music Ed Podcast. My name's Gannon, and that's it. It's just me. Nobody else. You probably haven't heard from me in a while. I don't know. I've been on here like a month or three weeks, something like that. Anyways, here I am if you missed me, which you might not have, but that's okay, because now you'll have a chance to miss me again all over again after this podcast. Uh, There is no Steven or Dylan today. Uh, they're off doing other things, other band director e sort of things. So you're going to get me. So I was told, hey, Gannon, you're running a solo podcast. Uh, talk about whatever you want. So I decided to kind of hit a subject that's near and dear to my heart and something that there's not a whole lot of knowledge out there in general on uh, among band directors for sure, uh, music teachers, and that is the electric bass. Uh, now, there are some of you that have pretty good knowledge on this subject, but a lot of people don't. They kind of know the basics, pun intended. But there's 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 a lot of information out there that I feel like is misinformation and ignorance in the true sense of the word. People just don't know how this instrument works. They don't know how to teach it. They don't know how to learn it. Um, and so I'm going to try and clarify some things today, hopefully. So... Or, you know, also, uh, you're somebody who may just be listening who uh, wants to learn to play bass. If so, awesome. Good for you. You're making a good move, I promise, and I'll tell you why later. What do we need to do that? First thing is going to be a bass. You're going to need a bass. Now, I'm not an upright player uh, or what you would call a a string bass or an acoustic bass or a doghouse bass or whatever word you want to have for it, the big ones that are like, you know, five, six feet tall. I don't, I don't play one of those, um, and I'm not at any any sort of way an authority on that particular instrument. It's a totally different animal than the electric bass. So we're going to be talking strictly electric bass guitar today. So you need a bass, huh? Um, and when, when you're thinking about shopping for a bass, you may not know what you're looking for, but a lot of the same rules apply for electric bass than it would for other instruments. So... For example, you get what you pay for. If you don't put very much money into it, you're not going to get a high-quality instrument. If you put a lot of money into it, chances are you're going to get a good-quality instrument, just like on any of the other instruments that you buy. Now, what is a reasonable price range to be thinking about here? Um, I would say to get a decent-quality instrument, you're looking at like three to $800 maybe up to a thousand when you start getting up to a thousand and above that you're starting to get into professional models um more high-end type stuff and then bases cost up from there you can get into some pretty high-end stuff for about two or three grand uh that starts to kind of be the top of the quality market but then you get into these boutique guys that charge ten thousand dollars twenty thousand dollars for their bases and it goes up from there i've I've seen as much as six-figure bases out there before which is ridiculous, and I don't plan it. I don't. I don't think that any of you plan on spending that kind of money. So let's talk more reasonable, three to eight hundred dollars. Okay, that, that's just a general figure I'm throwing out there. <clears throat> three hundred is a little bit on the low end, and there are some three hundred dollar bases that I would not necessarily recommend. But there are some three hundred dollar bases that I think are absolutely fantastic. So, just kind of depends on what you're wanting to do there, I guess. Um, brands that are good, <clears throat> let's talk, um, Fender, 
All of you have heard of Fender before. Now, speaking um, a little more candidly, the uh, the Fender Jazz Bass, I think, is one of the best basses, maybe the best bass ever to be developed. Uh, it's it's very versatile, unbelievably versatile. Maybe the most one of the most versatile model basses in the world. So I definitely recommend Fender Jazz Bass. Um, another one is the Fender Precision Bass. Um, the the pickups are different in that one. It gets a little bit more of a one type sound. You know, the the P bass has its sound, and you can make that sound brighter or darker. But in general, the P bass tone is a P bass tone. Now, especially if you're running a jazz band and you're wanting to get a bass for your school for the jazz band, and you're wanting to play for a jazz band. I would lean more towards the jazz bass, uh, not just because of the name, but because of the features and especially the pickups and the way the electronics are set up. That's kind of what you want. Uh, some other good brands that are out there is Peavy. I love Peavy. Um, I also like Ibanez to an extent. Um, Ibanez in the price range that we're talking tends to be geared towards rock and metal. So just know that when you're getting in, if that's something that you're wanting to get into, Rock and Metal Ibanez is right up your alley. Um, the the EQ on those basses tends to be a lot of treble, a lot of bass, but not a whole lot of mid-range. In general, I'm making a generalization here, though. This isn't 100% true. Now, there are some Ibanez basses is when you get up into the higher end, maybe $800 to $1,000 or more, that are very well-rounded instruments and can do anything that you want. They have a wide range of tonal um, possibilities. But that's why I like the Fender Jazz and anything that has the same setup as the Fender Jazz. PV makes jazz copies. Everybody makes a Fender Jazz copy or something that's very, very similar to the Fender Jazz. So that style, that design, the way those pickups are set up, you have two long, skinny pickups that are that are set up on the body that are absolutely perfect. <coughs> Man. I got all the snot in my throat, Steve, and it's kind of making this a little difficult, so you'll have to excuse me making you edit. So another good bass to look at um, is Ernie Ball. Now, the, these are ones that you kind of see every once in a while, but a lot of people aren't very familiar with them. But the Ernie Ball uh, Music Man bass actually has a very long history, almost as long of a history as the Fender basses. Actually designed by the same guy, I, be, I think Leo Fender also developed the Music Man bass. I could be totally wrong on that, but the back of my brain is saying that that's right. So the Music Man <clears throat> is the other bass that is very, very versatile. Um, the Stingray models of the Earning Ball Music Mans kind of fall into the price range that I'm talking about here. The uh, the middle and higher end music mans are way out of our price range. We're talking two and three thousand dollars at that point. If you want one of those, man, I love them. They're great. But the music man has lots of different electronic setups. Um, I'm not going to dig into this podcast heavily into how those electronic setups work and the kind of different tones you can get. I could spend half an hour on that. No, I could spend hours on that actually. <laughs> so. If you want to get into that, that's going to take some research, or you can go to the comments and ask questions. I'm always willing to answer questions and discuss this kind of stuff with you as well. So you pick out a bass. We found something kind of decent. Hopefully you have a bass player around you that, that can kind of help you with that decision. You also need an amp, though. Okay, so amplifiers. Same sort of deal. You're going to get what you pay for. Um, you want to stick with brands that are pretty decently known. 
Um, you know, Fender does good stuff. PV has just redone their Max line, their their um, cheapest bass amps that they make. Cheap's not a good word, though. They used to be cheap bass amps, but the way that they've re- redesigned them now, man, I just love them. They're high wattage. They sound fantastic. They have good tone options. They're not too complicated. Built-in tuners. Um, the the 15 has a line-out, XLR line-out, if you want to run direct into a system. It's a fantastic amplifier. And the price point's pretty good, too. They're around, I think, between two and $300, which is great for what you're getting. Fender has some good stuff out there. They're not as well-known for their amps as they are for their guitars, though. So kind of keep that in mind. Um, there's a lot of good bass amp brands out there that are in a reasonable price range. Uh, I, I won't name them all. I couldn't name them all anyway off the top of my head. So maybe I'll throw some stuff um, in the link dump or whatever Stephen calls that, the links that go underneath this podcast to kind of point you in some different directions. Also, we need a cord. Um a little eighth-inch cable, I guess about 10 or 12 feet, usually works okay. I would get more than one because they do go out every once in a while. Now, I'll kind of make a plug here. I've been plugging in certain things. Some people don't buy any of these, but Monster is a company that makes cables and electronic stuff. And you know, like my technical word, they're stuff. I love their cables for three reasons. <clears throat> First of all, they're built like tanks. These things are so hard to mess up and break. Um, they are designed really, really well so that they're going to last you forever. And if they don't last you forever, my second point on them is that they have a lifetime warranty. You break one, you send it back to them, they'll replace it. Pretty freaking awesome. And then the third is that they have different cables made for different instruments. And Believe it or not, it does make a difference in your tone. Now, I'm not talking about huge difference, but it makes a little bit of a difference. It's subtle. It's a subtle change, but when I use a monster bass cable versus a regular cable, I hear a little bit of a difference. It's definitely a better sound. So, I'm not, and I'm not that kind of person who buys into those gimmicks usually. Um, I'm not a gimmicky gear guy. You know, I'm usually not. Pretty skeptical, but once I tried the monster cables out, I was all over it. Um, but if you don't want to pay that kind of money, they're like thirty or forty bucks for a cable. Um, any old quarter inch that's of decent quality, and you, know, you want to drop about ten or twenty bucks on one, uh, that'll work fine. So now what? We got our gear, we got our base in our hands. We don't know what to do. <coughs> Let me talk to you about some material that's out there that I really recommend. Um, Hal Leonard has a book. This is, let me clarify, this is for beginners, okay? You're starting from square one. You want to learn to read music. You want to learn to read tabs. You want to learn to play in a lot of different styles. And you want to learn good technique from the very beginning. This is the book that does all of that. Hal Leonard, Electric Bass Method. I don't even think it says electric. Well, it probably does. Hal Leonard Electric Bass Method, and there's a version that's volumes 1, 2, and 3 bound together in one book. And then it comes with some CDs, and it's written by Ed Friedland. F-R-E-I-D-L-A-N-D, or maybe it's I-E-D. I before E except after Freed, right? I don't remember. So, Ed Friedland, 
Um, he's kind of a guru in the base education world. He has lots of books, um, a couple I'll mention here in a second. But this book, it, it teaches technique, and it talks about things um, that no other book I've ever seen really digs into, uh, about technique, about playing styles, about what makes bass different from learning other instruments. And I definitely recommend a book like this over to starting your bass player if you're a teacher, starting your bass player on like an essential elements book with the rest of your band or standard of excellence or foundation of superior performances or whatever method book that you use with the rest of your band, the rest of your band, um, they, there's just so much, electric basses are such a different instrument that there's things that have to be addressed differently. And, those method books are made for band. They're not made for string instruments. So it, it might get the guy started, but you're missing out on a whole lot of stuff. And for you other people who are just wanting to learn bass, this book is good enough that you can sit down, not know a thing about what you're doing, and if you run this book front to back, you will be a decent bass player by yourself without help. Now it's going to take practice. You need to really pay attention to what he has to say in there, and you need to stick with what he says in there. But if you do it, this book will take you there. That's how much I believe in this book. It's fan-freaking-tastic, okay? Now, some other books. That was The Howlander Bass Method by Ed Friedland. Try and find volumes or books, one, two, and three, all bound together in one. It's between $20 and $30, I believe, like $22, $23. It's an excellent price. It's probably a 150-page book. It's huge. And it will definitely get you going. Okay, so some other books. Um, by Ed Friedland specifically, he has, uh, you, a lot of you are probably thinking about jazz. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, because we have a lot of educators here. Um, learning bass for jazz, you got to learn how to do walking bass lines based off of chords. Ed Friedland has two two books. One is called Building Walking Bass Lines. And then the sequel to that is Expanding Walking Baselines, uh, both by Ed. Excellent method, teaches um, from the ground up how to do walking baselines. And it, it's very easy to understand. I, I taught a kid uh, out of this book who was in eighth grade and ended up becoming an excellent walking bassist when he was in high school because he had the foundation of these books. It, it's they're They're great. And another one I like from him, uh, just for you bassists out there who are actually wanting to go out in the world and play, is uh, The Working Bassist Toolkit. And this is a book where he talks about how um, to be a working bassist out in the world doing the real stuff. This is the stuff that you don't get told and books don't ever talk about. Uh, what kind of equipment do I need on a gig? What do I need to bring spares of? You need spare cables. Uh, you need spare batteries. Um, he even recommends bringing a spare amp in case your amp goes out or something like that. Um, he There's a whole chapter about how to play with a bad drummer and how to make the gig work when you have a bad drummer. Uh, there's another one he talks about how to walk into a gig and play by ear. You don't know the songs, you don't know the band, but they asked you to play because you were there. How do you walk into that situation? It's terrifying. So he walks you through it. He says, here's what you need to listen to, you know, and he really gets you into it. And then he gets into the metaphysics of bass playing and and the metaphysics of groove and, and the true meaning and purpose of being a bass player. And that 
in and of itself can be its own book. And actually, Victor Wooten wrote one very similar to that. Uh, his book is pretty interesting. It's all metaphysical and philosophical and stuff like that. It has nothing to do with the actual physical act of bass playing as much as it does. But okay, I'm kind of rabbit trailing though. So those are some books that I like. Um, there's a couple of websites I'll point you towards. Um, there's two guys in particular that I've really kind of grown to like. Uh, one guy's his name is Scott S C O T T, and he has a website scottsbasslessons.com or it might be .org. I don't remember off the top of my head. My computer's not in front of me so well. Put it down in the link dump. Uh, Scott's Bass Lessons. He has lots of YouTube videos, and he teaches everything from very basic beginner ideas of just scales and easy songs and stuff like that, all the way up to very advanced techniques. Um, he gets into improvisation, soloing, um, some very, very difficult bass lines. He'll show you how to play. He he covers the whole range of things. Uh, there's another guy, too. His name is Marlo DK. He is a Scandinavian dude uh, who does excellent bass lessons. And he has some DVDs and some books and stuff like that out. And his uh, website is playbassnow.com. And he, again, he does video lessons and all sorts of stuff and Skype lessons just like Scott does and um, lots of video tutorials. And it covers a very, very wide range of skill levels um, from the very beginning to uh, the very advanced. And so both of those guys are great internet resources to jump onto. Now, just for a second, I can talk to you very specifically about bass technique. There there are two things that I want to push on. I could talk bass technique all day long. It's something that's very um, mishandled by a lot of people. And bass technique is important. It, it's super important. I mean, you think about any other instrument. We talk technique, 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 technique in order to make the horn work. And we drill it into students' heads, and we drill it in our own heads, and we do all these technical practices and stuff. And then, for some reason, guitar and bass kind of get left a little bit on the wayside um, about technique, for technique, with technique. Left on the wayside with technique. Uh, somebody comment and tell me how that phrase was supposed to go because I totally lost it. Anyway, bass technique is important, just like it is on any other instrument. So let's talk left hand for a second. The, the biggest mistake that beginners make on their left hand is that they try and stretch and reach for the notes. The frets down on the lowest end of the bass are pretty far apart. Um, they're too far apart for one finger, one finger per fret, even for a full-grown man, really, without having just a stretch. And as you know, tension is never good. So to avoid tension, I teach a one... Well, and the, the Ed Friedland book does this, and this is how upright um, classical bassists learn, is a one-two-four method. The third finger kind of stays out of it. So that means your pointer finger covers the first fret, your middle finger covers the second fret, and your pinky finger covers the third fret. And so your ring finger is not doing anything. It's just kind of chilling. And the reason for that, I think, is because actually your pinky finger is the weakest of the four. And it has to do with muscle structure and tendon structure and how it's all kind of set up. You only have four groups of muscles controlling five fingers. And... uh that kind of ends up making your ring finger the odd one out. And there's actually two muscle groups controlling two fingers. So we leave the ring finger out. And 
we just do one, two, four. So then what if I need to reach for a fourth fret note? Well, what I do is I move my hand. I don't stretch my pinky over to try and get to that note. I just pull my hand up, try I'm in a new position, and I'm covering three different frets. And as I move up and down the neck, it's my arm and my hand that moves and my fingers that stay in place. Um, one of the best guys in the world that I've ever seen, do, well, there's a lot of great guys who, who do this just flawlessly, but the guy that I already mentioned, Scott, Scott's Bass Lessons, just watch him play some stuff and watch his left hand. It's like it doesn't even move. It's really ridiculous. Um, his left hand technique is just perfect. And, it, and, and you look at it, and it's so low tension and so comfortable, and so everything just kind of flows out of the guy. He's such a good player. And he wears a glove also. You'll notice that. He has uh, some sort of uh, 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 nerve damage on his hand and stuff. And his hands kind of freak out whenever he doesn't wear the glove. It's weird. I don't know. There's a description of that on his website too. That's probably unimportant information anyways. So, But I, I really, really want to stress not to let your students stretch and reach for notes like that. Instead, have the hand in a comfortable position that it can actually handle... Uh, pun intended, and let the arm and the hand slide up and down the neck instead of making your fingers reach. All right, now right hand technique, just a little side note. You want to think about the fingers. You use your first two fingers to play, which is your pointer and your middle finger. You want to think about the the fingers pulling over the top of the strings and kind of pushing into them a little bit. It's not a pluck. Um, I don't like the word pluck. The The word pluck kind of indicates that you're getting underneath the string and pulling away from it, and that's not what you're doing. You're pulling across the top of the string while pushing into it a little bit, and the string kind of pops out from underneath your finger. And then when you do that, your finger is going to land on the next string down. So say I'm playing something on the highest string, which is the G. When I pull my finger over the G, it'll land on the next string down, which is the D. And that goes for both fingers. As I play on the G, it's landing on the D as kind of an anchor point. And then when you're on the low E string, you don't have a string to land on, so you can use your thumb or just float off into nowhere. Um, it, it, it It's not super important as long as you're not doing anything crazy, as long as you're relaxed and comfortable. Um, also, some people can kind of get really uncomfortable with the wrist on the right hand. And something that helps that is just pulling your elbow up. A little bit, like you're trying to flap your wing like a chicken. And what that does is that straightens the wrist out and puts it in a much more comfortable playing position, especially when you're using your fingers a lot. And it, it definitely lowers down the amount of tension, although your arm might get tired after a while of doing that. That's something that takes a little bit of time to get used to. So I could go into technique all day long, but I'm not going to do that because this, this is a short podcast. Where are we at right now? Yeah, I'm at 23 minutes. That's long enough. You have any questions about bass playing? You have any comments about what I had to say? Maybe you disagreed with something. I'd love to discuss it with you. I'm all about hashing out disagreements and stuff like that. We don't have to hate each other. We can just agree to disagree, or we can come to some sort of agreement on things. Maybe we just misunderstand each other. I threw out um, a lot of information on this podcast without a lot of basis. Um, you just kind of have to trust me on some of these things, I guess. Or you can get on the website and argue with me. I'll, I'll do that all day long. So um, 
like like uh, like you know, uh, you should know this where this podcast is at freemusicet.org. We're also on iTunes. Uh, are we on Stitcher? Ah, crap. We're on another site. I forgot what it was. Uh, I think we're on Stitcher. And also directly on the website. Um, we're constantly updating things and doing new things, so just kind of keep your eyes there. And feel free to let us know what kind of topics you might want to hear from us in the future, too. I mean, there's so many things to talk about. We don't always know um, what you guys want. So, I don't know. Drop drop in. Give us a shout, you know. Say hey. Hang out. Have some pizza. Coffee. Pizza and coffee, that's really bad. You know what those taste like together? Okay, I'm just rambling, and you probably already turned this off by now. So, freemusicet.org. Check it out if you haven't. Uh, have a great weekend that's coming up and keep on practicing. Oh.